when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing well nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Cagle Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world. Well, Phantom fans, this is part three of me and Billy Hall paying tribute to the great Earl Anthony. And last week, we talked a little bit about Earl's physical game week number one we talked a little bit about some of the things that Earl taught Bill and our shows are only 20 minutes long so there's no way we can tell you everything that we've learned or everything that Earl taught us but we're going to give you a tribute number three and Billy's here and you all know Billy over the years he's back with us again to tell us more of what he learned from the great Earl Anthony. And those of you that follow our show know that Bill is with us often, and you know his impressive bio by now. He's a world-class ball driller, world-class ball designer, and one of the top coaches in the world. Matter of fact, he's invented a lot of things that coaches all over now are using. So Bill, what do you want to talk about this week? I know Earl taught you a lot, so what do we got for part three? Well, first, I need, I need to make a small correction from last show. I listened to it, and um, I said the wrong number. Earl's thumb hole size was one in three sixty-fourths, not one in three thirty seconds. So I just want to get that straightened out because, I mean, it, when you're when I'm with you, I have to think so quick. And again, like we just mentioned, it's only twenty minutes, so it's it's hard to keep everything in perspective. But today, I want to talk about how the strategy of Mr. Anthony was on lane play. And you actually gave away a little bit of it last week when you asked about skid hook roll. And when you said that he was the only player that told you skid, well, he's absolutely correct. If it doesn't skid, it's not going to hook and it's not going to roll. It's only going to do a hook early and then die. So, you know, first things come first. And one of the things that always fascinated me about him was his ability of thinking differently. So in his practice sessions, what he would literally do is wipe out the oil on the first six to eight feet. So there would be no oil on the front six to eight feet, which forced him to play different angles and how to skid a ball through the front. So he didn't really, wasn't really what I would call equipment dependent. He was physical game dependent, but that's one of the tricks that he used 
to train himself. Actually, when he did give me some time on the lanes, and that was in also Dublin, California, that's one of the things he did to the right side of the lane, is he wiped it out and he said, no, if you can clear it through there, then you can start reading the rest of the lane and the pinfall. So, I mean, that was the first time I had ever heard of anybody wiping out the front part of the lane because mainly we're, so many of us are dependent on it, but it sure taught me a lot. Yeah, he could control the skid of a bowling ball better than anybody, and that's why we made him the greatest. Um, I used to go there early in the morning sometimes to do our secretary sheets and wait for, you know, the secretaries to do it. He'd be down there practicing, and just like you said, he'd be trying all different kind of things, and I thought he was a slump, and he says, no, no, he says, I know how to strike here. I'm just learning things that I need to look for down the road that I might run into, and he was always prepared. So <laughs> what else did you tell you, Parts? Oh, he told me, you know, he told me, and it was a baffling statement, he said, well, it all, when he, when I was asking him, how does he know how to play a lane? And he said, well, that depends on how the pins fall. And I mean, if you think about it, that's actually our objective is we're trying to get the pins to fall. And he actually would study how they fell. I, he didn't give me a lot of information on it, but what he said is if you watch how the pins fall, they'll tell you exactly what to do <laughs> later. Many years later, I figured out that what he was actually talking about was pin deck coverage. If you lay the pins down on the deck, you're covering the entire deck. So now you've got a much higher percentage of the pins hitting into each other, creating off hits, creating breaking up splits, and being able to create more carry because he wasn't more about you know powering the pins down he was more about laying them down so he got deck coverage. So to me, that was the first person that ever said anything like that to me. And I, it took me forever to understand that what he was really referring to is pen deck coverage. And I think that's something that's becoming more of a, um, I would say a lost art. Yeah, he, he was unreal. Um, you know, uh, this is a little thing that I noticed, okay? I used to watch him closely every week. And when he'd be out there, you know, similar to Tiger Woods, who focuses in on the majors, uh, Earl was a regular guy in between squads. He would often be in the bar talking to people, uh, telling jokes, screwing around, uh, talking to the proprietor or whatnot. But usually in the majors, I wouldn't see him in between squads because one day you bowled early, the next day you bowled in, in between, next day you bowled at night. You bowled 24 games on three different conditions, three different times of the day. And I wouldn't see him during the majors. I asked him one time, I said, Earl, why don't you hang around? He goes, well, these are majors and they're important. He said, I used to go back to the room and lay there and visualize what I was going to do tomorrow. And sometimes he said he'd lay there for two hours, just looking at nothing and thinking about his delivery and thinking about pinfall. Unbelievable, way, way ahead of his time. When I asked him once about carry percentage, he says, look, I can bring it up when I need to. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's Mr. Anthony, so you don't, you don't question it. <laughs> you just kind of look at him and go, okay. But he, and he said, you know, I said, well, what are you looking at? What is, he goes, look, what's next to the seven pin? I said, the four pin. He goes, so I'm trying to figure out how to get the four pin to move the right way. 
He says, all the other pins, I'm going to get nine counts. I'm going to get eight counts, but I need to know what the four pin is doing so I can get it to lay into the seven pin or come off the wall. That was the first person that really talked to me, not about hitting the pocket, but about the pin next to the corner pin, which was for him, the four pin. It was one of those things that when you looked at it and you thought about it, I mean, all the best can get to the pocket. The greats can actually increase their carry percentage. And he was the first one that told me not to look so much at the pocket. Look at the way the four pin is moving and the six pin is moving on for the right-handers. And he was absolutely correct. We get so caught up into getting to the pocket that we don't study how the pins that we really need to, to uh, manage and control are right next to the ones that we're trying to carry. So he looked at it very differently and he would talk to me about how to control the flexion, how to control the ball entering the pocket at the, an angle that he could accept because he did have the things that he didn't like to see. What people don't know is when he pulled on the TV shows, he always went straighter than what he did all week. So people only have that image of him playing straighter on TV. But if you watch during the week, there was times where he's hooking it pretty good because that's what the pins told him to do. And I think we don't pay attention enough to that. It's the pins telling you. And he was the first one that said, look, if I'm getting nine count, nine count, nine count, nine count, and I switch bowling balls and I manipulate something and I start striking, he said, did I make the right? What told me that something wasn't right? And I said, well, I would think the ball. He said, no, the pins told me I was wrong about something. He said, never forget, your perspective is the pins. And that can't be summed up any better than the way he said it. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, another guy similar in thought was Don Johnson. I've said this many times. Uh, he used to say it's not how often you hit the pocket. It's how you hit the pocket. And one of these days, we're going to have uh, Walter Ray on here to get his thoughts because he's one of the greatest of all time, too, and very intelligent. He thought way ahead of time, and even guys like Norm Duke, who you know very well. In fact, you helped train him pretty much. And there are other guys, uh, you know, the Brian Bosses and all that. We're going to talk to everybody over a period of time. We're going to pass along as much knowledge as we can. But I, I know Earl... Uh, not not only was probably the greatest forward of all time, but one of the greatest thinkers of all time, too. Uh, what else strategically did he teach you? Any, anything special, parts? Actually, there was. He, he would actually control when the ball would hook. <laughs> so he did that by following the pinfall. So he would always control, you know, like the people call it skid hook roll or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's a little bit more like skid hook, but, you know, it's um, he controlled how long it would hook and how long it would roll. And he did that a lot by understanding his walk patterns, which we talked about before, and his ball rolls. That's not a common thing to find out, but his way of combining them was unique because he again, he would go back and tell me watch the pinfall that's your objective so one week i was watching him and all of a sudden it, he made like a two arrow move and i'm like okay i don't get this at all 
he's coming in light and he made a two two arrow move in the side and he said and i said what are you doing what what was that all about i asked in the locker room of course because you didn't talk to mr anthony while he was bowling he was just that focused and he said look i couldn't get the ball to recover the way i wanted so that means that that part of the lane was a teaser to me so i had to find a part of the lane where i could use my skills to create the pinfall that i'm looking for and to mis- and to cover up a, uh, the mistakes i make he go and i know he made very minor mistakes they weren't major mistakes but he told me he said look i had to move away from it because it was telling me that i was wrong so he didn't have an ego about it he learned from that situation and said you know what i got to make a huge move and he made a two arrow move and this was in Toledo Ohio by the way and he moved way in which was you know if you remember I had a lacquer shot and you had to play a track he moved inside of that because the ball wasn't doing the right things no matter what he did and the pins weren't falling the right way so he made a two arrow move and slow hooked it more than what I'd seen him do before and I was like okay now all of a sudden he's tripping the six pin slapping out the seven with the four pin and i had a very very long conversation with him afterwards and i said how did you know that i mean i i didn't understand and he said look i want to be able to teach you but it's something that i can't tell you you're going to have to figure out where that forgiveness is and start understanding how the pins hit the deck and it took me I, I would say many many years and actually the very last time I saw Mr. Anthony he gave me a hug and he said are you ever going to call me Earl I said no sir and I told him what I was studying about pinfall and this was just you know about uh six to eight months before he passed away and I told him I said look I'm following this and I'm watching the way that this moves and that moves and he's looked at me he goes now you understand it was the greatest that I have ever received in my entire life. I, I think I mentioned this before, but we're going to get into it when uh, soon Larry Lickstein is going to be talking about Mark Roth. And Mark used to come in in the mornings, and all he wanted to do was talk about pins. And he'd talk about the AMF pins. He'd talk about the Brunswick pins, how they all fell differently, and what he had to do with AMF pins and Brunswick pins. Sometimes we'd be in an AMF house, They'd have Brunswick pins. We'd be in a Brunswick house, they have AMF pins. And he knew exactly what his averages were in all those houses with all the different kind of pins. You mentioned a little bit about how he played, uh, Earl played straight on TV. Well, you got to remember that people have to know that, you know, on TV, that's a fresh oil condition. During a tournament week, as I mentioned, you bowl medium, you bowl early, and you bowl late. So he ran into three different kind of conditions. Sometimes at night, he'd be inside in a fourth arrow in there. But people never saw that because you didn't see that much lineage on TV show. But the one thing I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, we've all learned from the past and we learned from someone else. We were very fortunate to learn from Earl. You know, there's been great coaches for years and years. When I first started, they just talked about skid, roll, and hook, and whatnot. As more coaches came on and more theories came on, it was skid, hook, roll. Others still said skid, roll, hook. 
You know, there was the John Jowdies and the Bill Taylors and Bill, Man Bill Benetta, <clears throat> Del Warren and Sam Baca, Fred Borden. You know, they're all kind of theories. But Earl insisted that the key part of the game was the skid. And that's what he was always working on. So I'm sure you got some more, Bards. Uh, throw us another bone here. <laughs> Actually, I want to give the lighter side of Mr. Anthony. <laughs> okay, so again, I, I can't thank the Anthony family enough. Susie sent me all those CDs, and believe me, I've studied them all. One thing I noticed is his sense of humor on TV. You have to look very carefully. When he threw a shot and he was like, okay, it didn't carry, but he felt like he made the right decision. He would pick up his glasses with his left hand and his thumb and his index finger and adjust them. And I'm not trying to out Mr. Anthony, but I'm just gonna say what is obvious if you really look for it. When he realized, okay, well, I didn't quite get that the way that I was supposed to. That's how he would adjust his glasses. However, if he felt like he made every single adjustment that was correct and he wouldn't carry or the pins just didn't fall the way that he thought, if you watch very carefully, he lifts his glasses with his middle finger as he picks up the glasses and readjusts them. <laughs> so I, I think he's, you know, I mean, those were things that people didn't notice because it was Mr. Anthony, but if you look, there it was. Well, I, I'm glad you told that story your way because I tell that same story because I noticed that too because a lot of times you get mad on TV. You know, you leave a, a ring in 10 or a solid 7 or whatever and you get frustrated and your adrenaline flows and you throw the ball harder. He didn't want that to happen. So that was his way of flipping off the pins and the pin man <laughs> and the lane man, whoever else was had something to do with the lanes. And he it would calm him down because he got away with something. But you're right, Pards. I, I noticed that too. And you're right. That was the side of him that people didn't know. He had a great sense of humor. And I will always believe there are several players that, had, that I've met. I'm sure there are those that I did not meet that had genius minds. Um, unfortunately, all three are no longer with us. Earl Anthony was an absolute genius. Don Johnson, an absolute genius. Mark Roth, an absolute genius. When you finally got to sit behind them and listen and watch and understand what they were looking at and how they literally could turn it on at any given moment, that to me has not yet been matched by anyone. Maybe it will be someday, but up to this point, those were the three geniuses of the physical game and actually competing on the game. And that's not to knock anyone else. I mean, Marshall Holman had some great releases. I just think the other players were slightly ahead but in the knowledge of the game. But So I'm not trying to knock anybody. I'm going by my opinion only. And those were the three that Mark Roth could sit back there, watch a ball go down a lane, right off the player's hand and tell you what they were going to leave. That's an, an, an incredible insight. It, it took me a long time to actually learn to look for that. Don Johnson, when he would, how do I want to say it? When he would like watch other players and watch how they weren't carrying, he knew his physical game well enough 
that he could actually adjust parts of his game with his swing angles and stuff like that to change the ball roll to incre increase his carry. And of course, we've talked enough about Mr. Anthony. Those are things that I think people, it's enjoyable to watch the game. I understand that. But what's more enjoyable, in my opinion, is to study the game. Well, those are three guys, and you wouldn't think about Mark because he was just a pretty simple guy. You know, he didn't dress crazily. He didn't drive fast. He didn't do anything nutty. But he was just a regular guy that would hang around. Don Johnson would study. You could see his mind working. It was like looking at a Swiss watch and all the gears turning. And they're all the same thing. So you're right about those three guys. Uh, there are other guys out there that are really smart and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, none approach those three, even though a lot of them had many, many titles. Uh, I'm looking at the old clock, Bards. Uh, you got a story or one more thing you want to talk about? I want to give you one more lighter side of Mr. Anthony. Okay, great. The first time, I'll have to keep it slightly clean. Um, the first time he walked into a truck, into the truck, and he was talking to me about, okay, all right, what's all this pin placement and stuff like that? I said, well, here, let me just lay one out for you. We'll do what we do in here, and then you can go throw it, and you can tell me what you think. So I, I laid out what is now known as a stack leverage. And I put an extra hole in the side. And when he came and picked it up, he looked at the hole and he goes, what the hell do I do with this? <laughs> and I said, Mr. Anthony, just throw it. And he looked at me, he goes, all right, you're the ball driller, I'll go throw it. And he came back and he looked at me, he goes, I don't understand it, but it sure rolls different, but I'll learn about it. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, you scientists are something else, too, you know, I'll tell you. I learned a lot watching you guys in the truck. It made my head spin. I thought I had a technical job, so I saw you guys talking about a 64th of an inch. Holy macro. Well, Pards, I appreciate all that you've passed on to our listeners. Uh, we get a lot of questions on here, and you answered a lot of them, but the old clock in the wall tells where we are at a time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies in the show, but that's why they call it the fastest show in all of sports. But as we go along, we're going to be talking about a lot more of the greats over the years, because I've said many times, we're never going to allow the history of the PBA to go unspoken. So bowling fans, look for you next week. We're going to have another interesting guest to talk to. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Brad Edelman from High Roller, and Storm Bowling Company, along with our latest sponsor from Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, Mr. Dave Kowalski. He's also the past president of the Michigan State Bowling Coaches Association. So, Billy, you got one last thing to say to close the show? I can never thank the people that I was surrounded by enough. You are definitely one of them. Mr. The late Mr. John Davis, Larry Lickstein, John Jowdy. I mean, the list is so long. So I have to always acknowledge that my knowledge is not just my own. Yes, I changed some of it and I've adjusted it, but my knowledge is being carried on by those that were gracious enough to teach me and I will forever be indebted. Well, fine words, Barge. You know, you're right. Uh, no man is an island. Nobody invented everything. We learn from each other. And it's a great 
tribute to you to be able to pass it along. So, bowling fans, this is a phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me, and soon I...